To some, it's a road less traveled, while to others, it is a topsy-turvy, windy roller coaster ride down the road to WrestleMania. As we are in WrestleMania season mode this week here, kicking off the month of February right here on Kicking Out at 2. I'm your host, Dave Rosenblum. Thank you all for hitting the download button and joining me in this uh, retro throwback pro wrestling discussion as we, we cover WrestleMania Game Changers this week here. Um, it's it's basically uh, instances in storylines heading into WrestleMania that really altered the event and shaped the card, uh, whether it be behind the scenes or in front of the camera. And we're going to discuss whether some of these changes were good or if they should have kept them the same and get into all of that right here this week. But before we do all that, uh, allow me to remind you that you'd be doing me a great service if you followed us on social media. Be a part of all the fun. Facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. Hit the like button if you have not already. If you have, tell a friend who loves the glory days of pro wrestling, 80s, 90s, and early to mid 2000s, to hit that like button and be a part of all the great things we're doing over there on Facebook. We have uh, links to archive shows, pictures, videos, debates, discussions, memes, GIFs, GIFs. I don't know what they're really called. You can slide in my DM and tell me, but be a part of all the fun over there on Facebook. And the same fun that goes that goes on Facebook, it applies to our Twitter handle. Our handle is at kickingout2, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T, and the number two. Same kind of fun. Everything that we're doing on Facebook, we're doing it on Twitter, but we're doing it in between 140 and 220 characters or less. Uh, that depends on who you're asking. So be a part of all the fun over there on Twitter as well. The following's not as strong as Facebook, but I would love for you guys to uh, help make that possible by giving us a follow on Twitter. So um, have fun with us on social media in a retro throwback pro wrestling kind of way with kicking out it too. And the fun continues uh, because, you know, even though I'm a solo act this week, and I'll get to that in a little bit, um, my fellow retrosexual Kobe Nida from Retromania, retro with a W, mind you, uh, we're having a lot of fun on Marking Out the Days, which you can find each and every Thursday at moholeradio.com, retromania.blogspot.com, and iTunes and other podcast providers. Uh, Kobe and I, we get on the magic school bus of professional wrestling, and we bring our Sharpies with us, and we cross off the date of certain events that have taken place on that date, I should say, in wrestling history. Some good, some bad some downright ugly we cover some birthdays some people that passed we try to uh you know run the run the gauntlet of uh important and not so important happenings in wrestling history and this week coming up is february the 7th uh, we have some moments from uh, episodes of Monday Night Raw and WCW Nitro from the year 2000. We got a couple of birthdays. I think somebody passed away. Larry Zbysko won the AWA World Heavyweight title from Tom Zink in a battle royal. And so much more on marking out the days with Kobe Nida and myself. The greatest pro wrestling podcast collaboration since... Well, I don't know since when, but yeah, Retromania kicking out at two, joining forces to bring to you, marking out the days. So uh, hope you guys uh, hit us up over there and enjoy all the nostalgic pro wrestling fun that is marking out the days. All right, uh, got the social media plugs out of the way, got a marking out the days plug out of the way. I don't have any roll calls this week when it comes to what's going on in today's wrestling world. However, um, it, it, it's about that time to address the elephant in the room. I mentioned him earlier. 
here. Uh, no co-host this week. I'm flying solo. And normally I don't like to do that because I like to feed off of other people's thoughts and opinions and just natural discussion with someone else. But scheduling uh, a co-host was a little bit difficult this week. A lot of people got stuff going on, real lives, uh, real world kind of stuff. So I, I, I couldn't get anybody to sit in the co-pilot share with me. So I'm going to do this on my own. Hopefully I do a good job. Uh, this ain't going to be a regular thing, that's for sure, because I don't like to hear myself talk um, all by myself. However, um, I will uh, I will do my best to make it as entertaining for you guys as possible. So, um, without further ado, let's get into the subject this week: WrestleMania Game Changers. Uh, we have uh, we have five instances in WrestleMania season history where the storylines and certain events really altered the shape of the WrestleMania card, whether that be behind the scenes or in front of the camera. And you know, like I said, I'm going to discuss uh, some of the good and bad and were these changes necessary? Should they have kept on the course that they, that at least we thought as viewers we were watching on television? Um, yeah, and I'm going to give it a yay or a nay. That's that's my system here this week. Uh, I just kind of made that up on the fly. So were these changes good? Yay. Were they bad? Nay. So that's that's where I'm going to go here this week. And, uh, you know, if you guys have any uh, uh, issues with, uh, you know, some of these storylines, events, or moments and uh, that you feel uh, could have been a, a better alternative on the road to WrestleMania, or if they should have just kept things the way they were, then by all means feel free to slide in the DMs on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, comment on the on the social media uh, on on our wall on Facebook or tweet us and tell us what you thought um, was good or bad. Should they have kept things the same? Should they have uh, you know gone a different direction? But we're gonna go chronologically here with five different. Um, years in WrestleMania season mode. And a lot of stuff that takes place during WrestleMania season, we all know what the Royal Rumble does. It pretty much kind of is the start to the road to WrestleMania, so to speak, um, with the Royal Rumble winners and declaring their 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 uh, title opportunities for the main event or the co-main event of that year's WrestleMania. However, there's a lot of times where um, some events that really set the tone for WrestleMania take place before the Royal Rumble or take place after the Royal Rumble, like in the month of February. And this first one took place in February of 1988 as we saw the main event between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant for the World Wrestling Federation Championship on NBC. It was the, and to this day, the most watched wrestling program in all of professional wrestling and television history. 35 million people watched Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant hook it up for the WWF Championship on the main event. Um, I'll tell you, as a kid, man, it was a happening. Uh, I saw WrestleMania 3 in a closed-circuit movie theater with my father, and I was enthralled, and I loved it. And I couldn't wait to see this ma this match. And I just remember watching it and being so upset and disappointed and being caught up in the moment when Hogan clearly kicked out at two. <laughs> Ironically, I know, right? I'm talking about it on this show of all places. Um, Hogan had the shoulder up at two. And the evil Hebner uh, referee counted the three. And it turned out that there wasn't just one Hebner. There were two, and they were twins. And apparently the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, bought off the referee and performed, uh, paid for the plastic surgery, brother, as Hulk Hogan would say. And Andre the Giant was awarded the World Wrestling Federation Championship, which then he would turn over to Ted DiBiase. Now, mind you, 
going back a little bit here, DiBiase had tried to buy the World Wrestling Federation Championship from Hulk Hogan in late 1987, going into 1988, and Hogan refused because he's a good guy, and he would never, ever set that kind of example for all the Hulkamaniacs, brother. Um, so DiBiase had enlisted in Andre the Giant and his services to take the title from Hogan and deliver it to him, hand deliver it, and with this evil plan of the plastic surgery with the twin referee, it worked. However, it didn't last very long as we saw Jack Tunney strip DiBiase of the title just days later and then announce a tournament to crown a new World Wrestling Federation champion that would culminate at WrestleMania 4. Um, I'll be honest with you, looking back on it, because WrestleMania was in its early infancy, they needed something to top the previous year's WrestleMania. They weren't going to top it with the attendance uh, because they were in you know, Trump Plaza in uh, Atlantic City in New Jersey, and it wasn't nearly as big, obviously, than the Pontiac Silverdome from the year prior. But they needed a good hook to get you to watch WrestleMania, and this tournament was it. I remember as a kid, you know, I was so excited that the chances of Hogan winning the tournament, um, but if he didn't win, I wanted Randy Savage to win the tournament. And I was... I, I, I I was excited to see the Hogan-Andre rematch in the second round, which, by the way, both guys received a bye in the tournament. Um, but at the time, looking back and remembering the storylines, there wasn't a whole lot that they really had shaped up that, that made you think that this is where they were going for WrestleMania. I had a feeling as a kid at five years old that... Hogan and Andre were somehow going to be involved with each other at WrestleMania. Maybe even DiBiase and Savage involved in that. Maybe we would have seen a tag team match of some sorts. Um, little did I know that we were going to get a tournament. But um, that was like the main focal point of WWF storylines at that time. You had the issues with Jake the Snake and Rick Rude um, that had dated back to late 1980. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, you had Jake the Snake and Rick Rude that had their issues. Um, the, the early infancy of their issues. Um, and you kind of had an idea that they were going to get it on and hook it up at some point. You had uh, the Islanders and the British Bulldogs, the Islanders and Bobby Heenan stealing Matilda. And then you had, like I said, Hogan and Andre. And those were like the three main storylines that really, um, you know, were taking over WWF at the time. And so there wasn't a clear cut path to WrestleMania by the time February of 88 rolled around. However, after they announced you know, the tournament and the participants, then clearly within a month's time, you knew what the direction of WrestleMania was going to be. Now, hindsight being 2020, like I said, it was probably best that this tournament had taken place because you really didn't get a, a good grip of what the card was going to be with the exception of maybe like two or three matches um, or, or two or three storylines and, and what direction they were going to go in. So it kind of made sense that they had this tournament. They had included like Jake Roberts and Rick Rude, and it was just another part of their story. Um, the Islanders and Bobby Heenan had the six-man match with the Bulldogs and Coco Beware. You had the WrestleMania Four Battle Royal with a bunch of random guys that didn't really have much meaning to it. Ultimate Warrior and Hercules. And then you had Honky Tonk Man and Brutus Beefcake, which they started a little something for the Intercontinental title, but that was late. But, uh, you know, looking back now, like I said, better alternative that they went with the tournament because I, I can't see the card being that much more exciting with some of those other random matches that I just spoke of and really trying to get you excited for WrestleMania in a short period of time because a lot of that stuff was newly developed. They didn't have a long-standing uh, rivalry 
um, leading up to WrestleMania, with the exception of Hogan and Andre and DiBiase being a part of that mix, and then Hogan and Savage forming the Mega Powers. So it was, it, it, it was the it was the best route they could have went with, and I'm gonna give that a yay. I, I am. I'm gonna give WrestleMania four the tournament and the road to that year's WrestleMania a yay because as a fan and looking back now. There was no clear direction, and there wasn't a whole lot of excitement to get, you know, to get behind with that year's WrestleMania. As we move on to the year 1992, um, this this windy road to WrestleMania, you can argue that some of these events that really shaped the card of WrestleMania that year not only took place in front of the camera, but behind the scenes as well. Um, I'm going to give you just a little timeline, so to speak, as to where I felt things were going based on these particular events that really all started in SummerSlam of 1991. Uh, Let's go to uh, Hulk Hogan uh, and the Ultimate Warrior defeating the Triangle of Terror in the match made in hell. And Sid Justice was the guest referee of that match. And uh, as we saw at the end of that match, uh, Hogan and Warrior were successful in victory. Warrior had powdered out and uh, chased after uh, Slaughter, or I'm sorry, uh, General Adnan and Colonel Mustafa. Hogan pinned Slaughter. And at the end, him and Sid Justice are posing, pretty much giving us the indication that we're going to see a new alliance, a new uh, friendship forming with Hulk Hogan and Sid Justice on TV. Later that evening, the match made in heaven saw Randy Macho Man Savage, uh, who at the time was retired because he lost a career match to the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 7 earlier that year. He had married the love of his life, Miss Elizabeth, in Madison Square Garden in front of a sold-out crowd. And then later that evening, um, which we would all find out on an episode of Superstars the following weekend, that... uh, the, the party was crashed. The, the wedding reception was, was a mess. It was a nightmare as the newly formed alliance of Jake the Snake Roberts and The Undertaker crashed the party. Uh, Elizabeth went to go open a gift and we saw King Cobra pop out of the box and Undertaker and Jake Roberts are beating up on Randy Savage and you know everyone is screaming in horror as Sid Justice makes the save attacking Jake and The Undertaker and fending them off from continuing to put further damage on Macho Man Randy Savage and this wedding reception. Which then, uh, fast forward, leads us to Survivor Series of 1991. Uh, Hulk Hogan would defend the World Wrestling Federation Championship against The Undertaker. And he would lose that title with a little bit of help from Ric Flair's involvement. Now, Flair, let me just backtrack just a second, um, would make his debut in the World Wrestling Federation a few months prior, claiming to be the real world's heavyweight champion. And he would be challenging Hogan to a match to determine who the real world's champion is. Flair had a dispute with WCW behind the scenes and brought the big gold belt with him. And for wrestling fans like myself, it was a true dream match. The NWA champion versus the WWF champion. And we were going to find that out eventually and so uh, Flair was the reason why Hogan lost the title that night but Flair was also the reason why Hogan regained the title at the This Tuesday in Texas pay-per-view a few nights later Um, Flair would get involved and Hogan would end up defeating The Undertaker and there would be some physical involvement with Flair and Jack Tunney which would then result in Jack Tunney announcing that the the WWF Championship would be held up in the 1992 Royal Rumble match, the 30-man match. Um, 
Now, before we get to that, let me backtrack once again, because on that same This Tuesday in Texas pay-per-view, Randy Macho Man Savage defeated Jake Roberts, only to be humiliated by Jake post-match with a number of DDTs, and then Jake slapping Miss Elizabeth right in the face. So with, with, with these events transpiring, the direction of WrestleMania, in my opinion, as a kid at nine years old, I thought for sure that Savage and Jake were on a collision course to WrestleMania. Now hold that thought here. Because we get to the 1992 Royal Rumble. And as we know, Sid Justice eliminates Hulk Hogan fair and square. Hogan being the crybaby and the poor sport dumps Sid out of the ring, helping Ric Flair win the World Wrestling Federation Championship and making history in what many regard as the greatest Royal Rumble match of all time. Um, we would then see a number of weeks later that Ric Flair would have to face Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania that year, which Sid Justice was not a fan of. And Sid had to put those differences aside to team with Hulk to take on Flair and The Undertaker at, at I'm sorry, Saturday night's main event, um, which we would see um, Sid turn on Hogan and leave Hogan for dead pretty much against Flair and The Undertaker. That same Saturday night's main event, Randy Savage and Jake the Snake had their one-on-one -on -one match with Savage ending up victorious. Post-match, we would see Jake Roberts hiding behind the curtain waiting to nail Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth with a steel chair. As Vince McMahon is pleading, screaming bloody murder, someone get some help, someone stop him. All of a sudden, Savage and Liz come through the curtain, Jake cocks back with that chair, only to be stopped by The Undertaker, the individual who he's had an alliance with for a number of months. And we would go off the air with Jake and Undertaker having a pull apart with the chair as Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth fled the scene. And things are really, really, really shooken up for WrestleMania. Now, let's, uh, let's take a little sidebar, if you will, and discuss a, a match that I felt at the time was going to be on the WrestleMania card. And that's Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Michaels would turn on Jannetty and throw him through the barbershop window just a week prior to the 92 Royal Rumble match. Um, by that point, as a kid, I felt, oh, well, Jannetty's going to have to come back and get his revenge on Shawn Michaels. And they'll do it at WrestleMania because that's the next big event. Uh, truth be told, behind the scenes, that wasn't the case as we saw... Marty Jannetty was uh, let go by the company, something that was detailed in Shawn Michaels' book. There were some differences between the two, and Jannetty, uh, on behalf of Michaels, without Michaels even knowing, went to the company and basically gave their notice and said, we're going to WCW to make more money, and uh, there was some sort of contract dispute. Michaels didn't appreciate that and said, I want to stay. I'm not a part of this, um, and maybe it's best that you guys split me and Marty up. And they did that, and that was the end of it. And Though this was the beginning of the um, the launch of Shawn Michaels' singles career. Now, this was also the beginning of the change that would take place um, in what I thought was the WrestleMania card. I thought we would see Hogan and Flair for the title. I thought we would see Savage and Jake the Snake in some form of a cage match. I thought we would see Sid and the Undertaker because Sid and the Undertaker had that face-off at the wedding reception and they had been having some issues on episodes of Wrestling Challenge and Superstars. And then I would thought we would see Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. Now, add in Brett and Piper for the Intercontinental title. That match doesn't really drastically change the landscape of WrestleMania because as a kid, I felt it was going to happen anyways. Brett lost the title, never got a rematch. Piper is the new champ. Bing, bang, boom, we get to WrestleMania. So there you have five huge matches for that WrestleMania card. 
And then things start to change. Like I said, Janetti gets fired. They change the, the, the championship match to Flair versus Randy Savage. They move Hogan over to face Sid Justice in what was being advertised as Hogan's potential retirement match, his last match ever in the WWF. And then you had Jake the Snake Roberts and The Undertaker, which was pretty much made official after Jake the Snake DDT'd Paul Bearer on the episode of The Funeral Parlor when he was uh, questioning Undertaker's loyalty. Things got heated. He slams the casket door on Undertaker's hand, mind you, an airtight casket, and nails him repeatedly with a number of chair shots, only for Undertaker to fight that off, drag the casket, and follow Jake back into the dressing room, leading us to WrestleMania 8. And, like I said, a lot of different factors, both in front of the camera and behind the scenes, made this WrestleMania, of, this road to WrestleMania, a very interesting one. Now, let's let, some can argue that this really started at the top with Hogan and Flair. There have been urban legends and stories that Hogan and Flair couldn't draw a dime in Madison Square Garden and in other shows in the Northeast area, and that's why they went the opposite direction and didn't have these two headline WrestleMania. There's the urban legend that neither of them wanted to do the job to each other. Then there's the story that Hogan wanted to take some time off and pursue other opportunities in, in television and movies, and Vince McMahon was on the verge of being indicted by the federal government for uh, steroid distribution, and Hogan was the face of wrestling. He needed to get Hogan off of TV and not have him be associated with it, and they kind of came to a mutual agreement, and then that's how they got up with Hogan and Sid at WrestleMania. To me, I kind of agree with that last part here, there, is that it really started at the top with Hogan's desire to take a break, the steroid trial coming up, the stars are aligned for Hogan to walk away, put him in a match where there's not going to be huge implications for a championship, and have a main event with a guy like Sid, who had some credibility as a big man, and it was a typical Hogan formula of Hogan working a big man at WrestleMania. Um, which would then also make sense of Flair working with Savage because Savage was the number two babyface and was a credible individual to hold the championship in Hogan's absence. So um, they pivoted to Savage and Flair with the storyline that was kind of thrown together, you know, in a short period of time of Flair was with Elizabeth before Elizabeth was with Randy Savage, and that was revealed in an edition of the WWF magazine, which I was able to snag as a kid. Um, and I was pretty shocked when these, these doctored photos had come about, and I was in disbelief that there's no way Miss Elizabeth was with Ric Flair. She was definitely with Macho Man. And my father, who doesn't really watch wrestling a whole lot, is like egging me on. He's like, nope, look at those pictures. That looks legit. Look at the towel by the pool. R for Rick and L for Liz. And <laughs> I just found that kind of funny um, that my father was really like instigating the situation, almost like trying to get me, he was trying to get me riled up. And so we get to this WrestleMania, and uh, you know, no Sean and Marty. Sean's wrestling El Matador. No Hogan and Flair. It's Flair and Savage, Hogan and Sid, Jake and Undertaker, and then Brett and Piper. So let's go, yay or nay? Was were these changes necessary? on this road to WrestleMania. Um, yes, I do agree that they were yet, they were necessary if the circumstances are true that Hogan was going to leave and the steroid trial was taking place and it was going to affect the card from the top all the way down. Um, 
However, I don't have concrete proof uh, personally that this was the card that was going to take place. This is this has been rumored. It's been an urban legend for a number of years that these were the matches that were that that were talked about for that WrestleMania, and uh, you know it's it's to me. As a fan, this is what I wanted to see because this is what I envisioned as a kid at nine years old. I envisioned that these matches were going to be on the card, but I understand the changes that they had to make. Do I agree with them? No, but I understand. So would I say these were good changes? They were reasonable changes. Will I give this a yay? No, I'm not going to. I'm going to give this a nay because selfishly as a fan, I wanted to see Hogan and Flair for the WWF Championship at WrestleMania 8. But if the circumstances were that Hogan was walking away, they weren't going to put Hogan and Flair on as the main event and uh, have Flair win and keep the title. That was, you know, a bad guy winning the main event of a pay-per-view at that time in 1992, with the exception of the Royal Rumble a few months prior, was not a common thing. You know, the old adage that Bruce Pritchard always says on, on, you know, something to wrestle, well, Hogan must pose, you know, that was the case here at this WrestleMania. So uh, when it comes to 1992, it was probably the safer bet for them to go the route that they did. But as a fan, selfishly, I'm going to say, I'm going to say nay, that I didn't like the changes and I really wanted to see the matches that I had envisioned in my mind, but I understand the direction that they were, that they were planning to go in, um, you know, following WrestleMania, we would end up seeing, you know, Savage become the champion. Sid was gone not too long after that. The Ultimate Warrior made his return in the main event with Hogan and Sid, uh, kind of, you know, in some ways re- replacing Hogan. Uh, Hogan was going to go away. Warrior was back. He was a fresh, he was a fresh face on TV. He had plenty of guys he could have worked with, whether it was, uh, you know, Sid or Ric Flair or Randy Savage. And uh, so, yeah, uh, like I said, uh, Understood the changes. It made for an interesting turn of events on the road to WrestleMania, but selfishly as a fan, I really wanted to see that that dream card that I kind of envisioned of Sean and Marty, Brett and Piper, Savage and, and Jake the Snake in a cage, mind you. I wanted to see that match in a cage because I felt like Savage didn't get enough of Jake the Snake. Undertaker and Sid and Hogan and Flair for the title. I think that would have been a badass WrestleMania, but, you know, that's history for you. That's what had taken place. So, I mean, even as a kid, I enjoyed that show. I thought it was a great show. It's one of my favorite WrestleManias to watch. Um, being in a dome, the, the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, and the Flair Savage issues, even Hogan's last match. They had some good replacement storylines, in my opinion, to really hook you for that WrestleMania. But I felt like some of the other stuff would have been would have been much more interesting and, and selfishly would have... Would have cleansed my creative palette um, at nine years old. So um, I'm going to give WrestleMania 8's road a nay. And uh, so we're a yay for the, the, the WrestleMania 4 um, tournament, and we're a nay for the road to WrestleMania 8 in 1992. Um, let's move on here with 1997, which this is an interesting turn of events. This is where real life had kind of gotten in the way of the storyline. Um, WrestleMania 13 in 1997. The long-standing rumor is that we were going to see Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels in a rematch for the World Wrestling Federation Championship coming off of their WrestleMania 12 Iron Man Classic. 
Uh, not, uh, you know, after that match, Brett had left the World Wrestling Federation. He was on hiatus for a number of months. His contract had run out. He was in negotiations to return. Uh, Shawn Michaels was the champion. Some people say his run was a little bit unsuccessful. I think his run took place in a bad period of time in wrestling. He's had some underrated classics during that time period with Diesel and Vader and Sid and Mankind and Gold Dust that a lot of people don't give him enough credit for during that time period. He was really holding it together for the WWF when WCW was starting to build their momentum with the New World Order storyline. So... Um, all signs, and as a fan, in my opinion, pointed to Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels' WrestleMania 13. Uh, but Bret had to get there by returning and facing Stone Cold Steve Austin at the 1996 Survivor Series. He would become successful and earn an opportunity at the WWF Championship at the next pay-per-view, In Your House, It's Time, in December of 96. He would face the winner of the Sid Shawn Michaels WWF Championship match from Survivor Series that night. Sid would end up the victor and become the champion in controversial fashion, uh, knocking out Jose Lothario with um, a television camera and then knocking out Shawn Michaels with that same television camera, powerbombing him on the floor and becoming the victor. So the scene was set for In Your House, Brett and Sid. And... Shawn Michaels was guaranteed a rematch at the Royal Rumble in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome the following month in January of 97. So he was going to face the winner of Brett and Sid from In Your House. Michaels and Austin both had a role in this championship match getting involved, causing Sid to defeat Brett the Hitman Hart and retain the WWF championship. So the scene was set for Royal Rumble. Sid and Michaels for the title. And then you have the 97 Royal Rumble match with Brett being a heavy favorite along with his arch nemesis, Stone Cold Steve Austin. History showed us that Stone Cold Steve Austin would cheat to win that Royal Rumble and screw Bret Hart out of the title, or out of the title shot, I should say, when he was eliminated and the referees were distracted with other things going on in that Rumble match. Snuck back in, dumped out Undertaker and Vader, dumped out Brett. Referees turn around. Austin's the last guy standing, and he's the winner of the Royal Rumble. The next match, Michaels would end up defeating Sid and becoming the World Wrestling Federation champion. Now, this is where things start to change a little bit. The... Uh, the, the, the In Your House Final Four pay-per-view event, which we're going to cover in our Trading Places series in two weeks here on Kicking Out at Two, was scheduled to be Shawn Michaels and Psycho Sid for the World Wrestling Federation Championship in a rematch. The next match on that card was scheduled to be a Final Four match where it would pit Bret Hart, Steve Austin, Undertaker, and Vader to determine the real number one contender to the World Wrestling Federation Championship at WrestleMania. The rules were uh, you could either pin, make a guy submit, or throw your opponent over the top rope in a little mini four-man battle royal um, coming off of that controversial finish at the 97 Rumble. But before we got to the Final Four, we got Shawn Michaels relinquishing the World Wrestling Federation Championship and, quote-unquote, losing his smile, which would then result in the Final Four match at the Final Four pay-per-view becoming a WWF Championship match where the winner would become the undisputed WWF Champion and the winner of that would then face Psycho Sid for the WWF Championship the next night on Raw, who was scheduled to face Michaels at the Final Four pay-per-view. Now... 
Rumor has it, and there's been a number of different theories behind um, this situation, was that Shawn Michaels, um, because of his personal rivalry behind the scenes with Bret the Hitman Hart, the two of them had begun um, uh, having issues with each other regarding the shots they would take with each other on camera. Um, Brett says it was all about playing up to the storyline to eventually getting to, you know, the match that the two of them were going to have. Sean wasn't sure how that worked, how that, how, you know, how that came about and, and, you know, all the personal attacks. So Sean fired back. Um, They had personal issues, bumping heads behind the scenes. The rumor was that Sean didn't want to drop the belt to Brett. And so, therefore, he feigned a knee injury. And to this day, Shawn Michaels says that the knee injury uh, was legit and he couldn't wrestle. But um, yet he would still make an appearance at that year's WrestleMania, um, walking pretty pretty good and just fine. Um, you know, not looking like he had any knee issues, uh, which which is really um, amped up the... the, the uh, the, the questionable status of his knee uh, that year in 1997. So Michaels loses his smile, and Brett ends up winning the Final Four and becoming the World Wrestling Federation champion. He would then go on to face Psycho Sid the next night, lose the title, and become... Not the, not the champion anymore, and have an issue with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Resume that rivalry. Which would then result in Sid facing The Undertaker, who was named the number one contender after he was screwed at the Final Four pay-per-view, to face the WWF champion Psycho Sid. So you had Sid and Undertaker, and you had Bret and Austin. Now, had Shawn Michaels not lost his smile, um, and we saw Shawn and Bret, um, things could have changed. And I'm not going to get too deep into this, um, because I want to save some of this for our trading places concept. But to me, it starts at the top. And if it's true that Michaels had hurt his knee, then it was obviously the steps that they had to take uh, to, to, to rearrange the WrestleMania card. But if it was, you know, he feigned a knee injury, um, then unfortunately, um, he created one of the greatest, or I should say, fortunately, he created one of the greatest double turns in the history of wrestling because we wouldn't have seen Austin and Brett at that year's WrestleMania. Mania, um, plain and simple. So I wanted to see the rematch with Sean and Brett, but at the same time, the consolation prize was we got to see Brett and Austin in that submission match at WrestleMania 13. Undertaker would then defeat Psycho Sid and become the World Wrestling Federation champion, and it seemed like we were on a much clearer path following that WrestleMania. Brett was starting to turn into a bad guy, his frustrations with America and being cheated out of the title, as well as um, his issues with Shawn Michaels. Um, So I guess you could say that this situation allegedly um, was caused by, you know, Shawn Michaels and this knee injury or lack thereof. Now, would I say that these changes that were made were great changes? No, because once again, selfishly as a fan, I wanted to see um, Shawn and Brett in the rematch. However, like I said, we wouldn't have gotten Brett in Austin had this had this situation occurred. Um, But... This really affected, like, the top matches on this card. Uh, Michaels wasn't even on WrestleMania. He was a guest commentator for the main event with Shawn Michaels and, and uh, or with uh, Sid and The Undertaker, excuse me. And, um, you know, which Brett would make an appearance before the match and eat a powerbomb from Sid. Uh, uh, so, 
I mean, it, it, what could have been with WrestleMania 13 had we seen Sean and Brett for the title? Uh, would Brett have gotten his revenge? Would Brett have been the, um, you know, to, would Brett have been able to even up the odds with Shawn Michaels in the singles match for the WWF Championship? Who knows? But the I, I would say the changes um, that were made, once again, another necessary situation considering the circumstances. However, selfishly as a fan, I didn't like them at the time. But I'm going to give this a yay because if Shawn didn't lose his smile... We may have never seen Stone Cold Steve Austin launch into superstardom the way he did following that match. We may never have gotten the visual of Austin bleeding and the blood dripping down his face in the sharpshooter against Bret Hart in the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Illinois. So uh, if, if we're going to if we're going to split hairs here. I guess it's a good thing that Shawn Michaels lost his smile, even though I'm kind of torn and back and forth regarding it. So I'm going to I'll say. I'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a, I'll give it a yay. The changes were necessary, and it overall, big picture, um, you know, it launched the career of Steve Austin. And, and who knows where Austin would have been at WrestleMania? Would he have worked Sid? Would he have worked Undertaker? Where would have Stone Cold Steve Austin fit into that WrestleMania had Shawn not been out with that bogus knee injury, as some would say? So um, there's where I stand. Another game changer because, and then that's the epitome of a WrestleMania game changer right there. You know, when people think greatest WrestleMania moments, they put Austin and Brett from that that year's WrestleMania in like the top five in terms of matches or even greatest moments of all time. The blood dripping down his face, not saying I quit. The crowd getting behind Austin. He was once a bad guy. Now they love him. They hate Brett. That to me is the epitome of a WrestleMania game changer right there because that wouldn't have happened had things not gone down the way they did. So um, let's move on with we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go twelve years later. We're gonna go to two thousand and nine in uh, well actually no let's go eleven years later to two thousand and eight. Uh, two thousand and eight we would have the um, we would two thousand eight was a, a transition year for the WWE. Uh, they were going in a more PG direction, and following the um, the incident, the unfortunate incident with Chris Benoit, and so I felt like as a fan in two thousand and eight, they were they were kind of all over the place in terms of their storytelling, and um, you know they were using they were they were building and elevating guys, but they were also using some of their 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 established and marquee guys to to help build those guys, and. We were seeing guys like Triple H and Randy Orton and Jericho and Cena and Michaels and Undertaker and all those guys um, an Edge at the forefront of storylines. And most of them were pretty established guys. Um, but, you know, there were guys like Randy Orton who still really hadn't hit his stride yet. Even though he was really good, he still hadn't hit his stride yet. Edge was kind of – Edge was – Continuing his path of greatness um, in in late 2008, going into 2009, but this was a situation as a fan where I felt like the direction you kind of have an idea of where they're going for WrestleMania um, in the latter you know parts of the year, heading into the new year, um, and then it becomes more clear as like time goes on with the Royal Rumble and some of the the the, the B level pay per views that take place in February and March, but this year in particular, from going into 2008 and into 2009, you didn't really have a clear direction. The only the only direction I felt like they were they were going in was. Um, 
possibly seeing like a uh, a Jeff Hardy WWE title match of some sorts, whether that was with Edge or whether that was with um, a Triple H. Uh, towards the end of 2008, they were kind of teasing the idea of Jeff Hardy becoming the champion. Then eventually he became the champion at Armageddon that year. He would lose that title to Edge at the Royal Rumble. Um, there were some unfortunate incidences in the storyline where Hardy had... Um, you know, almost got run off the road by a car. There was a pyro accident during his entrance. They found him in a flight of stairs at Survivor Series a few months prior. They were kind of linking this to Edge. Then there were rumors on the internet and the dirt sheets that Christian was going to be the culprit behind this, and we're going to set up an Edge and Christian versus Matt and Jeff Hardy match at that year's WrestleMania, kind of reliving the, um, the, the, the classic rivalry that those two teams had had. But for the most part, there wasn't a whole lot of direction, in my opinion. I didn't feel like there was that they were really they really had a clear path as to what they were going to do for wrestlemania like that like i said that instance um that was the that was one of the only rivalries matchups that i felt like they could have stretched to wrestlemania and undertaker and Shawn michaels which they eventually did because i'll never forget it when i was at wrestlemania 24 in orlando and they announced um you know, that WrestleMania was going to be in Houston the following year, um, I texted my brother, who was also in the crowd, but somewhere else in the stadium, and I said, next year they're going to do Shawn and Undertaker. And that was based off of our excitement watching the finish of the 20, 2007 Royal Rumble when Shawn Michaels and Undertaker were the final two guys, uh, with Undertaker ended up eliminating Michaels and winning that Rumble that year. So I felt like going into 2009, um, not too much direction as to where they were going for WrestleMania with the exception of Shawn and Taker, and something involving like Ed and Hardy or the Hardy boys and maybe even Christian um, didn't really understand where they were going to go with with Triple H I kind of thought that they were leaning in the direction of uh, Cena and Orton again which I wasn't a big fan of um, so the Royal Rumble and before the Royal Rumble was when re things really started to kick it up a notch where um there was no real general manager on Monday Night Raw. I think like the, the McMahons were kind of taking over and, and running the show uh, once again, like Shane and Stephanie. And Vince had a little part in it, too, but he wasn't as full-time. Kind of like what we're seeing now in current WWE, where the McMahons have taken over once again. Um, and that's another story for another day. But uh, you saw McMahon threaten to fire Randy Orton because of some of his, uh, his, his issues with management. And... Orton beat the hell out of Vince and punted him in the head. And you went into that year's Royal Rumble in 2009 with, you know, what's going to happen to Randy Orton? Is he going to get fired? But he's also a heavy favorite to win that Royal Rumble match, which he would end up winning that year. Um, last eliminating Triple H with a little bit of help from his legacy cohorts, Ted DiBiase Jr. and Cody Rhodes. That same Royal Rumble, Cena would regain the World Wrestling Federation Championship, or I'm sorry, retain the, the World Heavyweight Championship by defeating um, JBL with a little bit of help from Shawn Michaels, who at the time was working under JBL because apparently Shawn Michaels was, was poor and pissed away all his money. And they were trying to recreate the storyline with Mickey Rourke from The Wrestler, where you have the broken down old wrestler hanging on and will do anything for a buck, um, which I thought was pretty silly and stupid. But they ended that pretty quickly, I will say. I'm kind of glad that they that they didn't drag that out too long. Because um, I, I 
I felt if Undertaker and Sean wasn't going to happen, the next best thing was Sean and JBL in Texas, and maybe that would have been like JBL's send-off because there were rumors he was going to be leaving WrestleMania following that. So um, they won't, I, I, my direction and my thought process regarding where the, the, the top matches or even the card was going to go for WrestleMania was very all over the place, as I'm describing it to you right now. Um, so you had that, and then, of course, you had uh, Edge defeating Jeff Hardy for the WWE Championship with a little bit of help from Jeff's brother, Matt. And they did the whole, you know, it was Matt all along. It was Matt that burned his house down. It was Matt that tried to run him off the road. It was Matt that attacked him in the stairwell before Survivor Series, resulting in Jeff not being able to compete for the title. Um, it was Matt that caused the pyro accident. Um, I mean, it wasn't bad. The way that they got there was better than um, in 2001 when they tried to split the Hardys up and nobody wanted to see it. Um, it was certainly a better scenario than the, the 2001 split between the two of them um, after the, uh, the alliance angle when they tried to make Matt and Jeff hate each other and that didn't work out. But um, you kind of saw that, they, all right, Jeff's not going to compete for the title, but he's going to have a, a, some kind of a match with Matt. And then you saw at that same Royal Rumble, Sean and Undertaker have a little bit of a stare down before the Rumble match in the locker room. And that kind of planted the seeds for WrestleMania. Um, Orton being involved in a top spot with a McMahon. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. That's a direction I, I kind of saw they were going in at that point. Um, whether it was Orton against Vince, Orton against Shane, um, or legacy against the McMahons. I don't know. The one person I didn't really have an idea as to where they were going to be heading into that WrestleMania was Triple H, because Triple H was kind of uh, you know floating around, and um, by the end of that Rumble, um, you know his involvement with Orton in that match and how he was in there for a good portion of time, and he was eliminated early. The idea then popped in my head that the two of them could link up and, and, and be, a, be in a match at WrestleMania. How they got there was to be determined at that time. But there was a lot of moving parts going on. Um, I even thought at that point that Cena defending the World Heavyweight Championship against Shawn Michaels uh, was, a, was a possibility as well. There was a lot of different avenues that I felt they could have gone to get to WrestleMania that year and then the next month at elimination or I'm sorry no way out where they had the elimination chamber matches really threw everybody for a loop because Edge was the WWE champion going into that eliminate the SmackDown elimination chamber match he defended the title against Triple H Undertaker Big Show Vladimir Kozlov and Jeff Hardy and he was the first one eliminated within a matter of minutes guaranteeing us to see a new World Wrestling Federation champion. It would be Triple H that would come out the victor of that elimination match and become the WWE champion. Later in the night, Edge was like Jesus. He took he took water and turned it into wine, and he started the evening as the WWE champion, but then managed to get involved in the, the Raw Elimination Chamber match, uh, attacking Kofi Kingston pre-match, locking himself in a pod, and then eventually managing to outlast John Cena, Rey Mysterio, Chris Jericho, Kane, and Mike Knox to become the World Heavyweight Champion in one of the, the one of my favorite Elimination Chamber matches of all time. Um, very exciting match. Right group of guys they paired up with, you know, Edge and, uh, and Mysterio closing it out, I thought was a nice touch. Um, 
Cena getting eliminated early, guaranteeing you a new world champion with, with a few guys left in the match. Um, now you kind of saw some of the direction that they were heading in uh, for WrestleMania that year. Michaels had um, freed himself from JBL at that pay-per-view, and uh, that was that to me was the point where I was like, all right, this is it. It's done. He's, he's moving on to bigger things. And that's, that's where I felt in my heart. I was like, it's gotta be him and undertaker. Um, and so leaving that no way out pay-per-view, Randy Orton was still involved, uh, with the McMahons. He had defeated Shane McMahon, um, and beat him viciously in like a no DQ kind of match, but he still hadn't revealed who he was going to face for the W for for the the main event of WrestleMania, he still had a choice whether it was the World Champion or it was the WWE Champion. Now, mind you, he like I said, still involved with the McMahon, still having issues with them. They almost were going to fire him, um, but in storyline, Orton had a group of lawyers that had said he had a personality disorder, and um, you can't fire an individual um, with an issue such as this. And uh, so there was a kind of a back and forth there until. Finally, Randy Orton and his character went way over the line, and he leveled Stephanie McMahon with an RKO. And this is where things really were shooken up as Triple H came to the aid, and in storyline, it was revealed that Triple H was still married to Stephanie McMahon all along, and they had kept it a secret. Um, back in 2002, their characters had kind of split from each other, and they had gotten a, an official divorce. But um, with this situation, um, it was clear that they were going to go with Orton and Triple H. They hadn't made it official yet because Orton still hadn't, uh, you know, announced his uh, his his championship aspirations for WrestleMania. And I believe at one point, I think it was Triple H that had kind of goaded him into the match because Orton was playing mind games with Hunter and saying, well, I'm not going to challenge you for the WWE title. Maybe I'll challenge Edge for the world title. And eventually Hunter got his way and goaded him into the match because he wanted revenge for Orton giving an RKO to Stephanie McMahon. Um, we would eventually see Shawn Michaels and Undertaker square off um, at WrestleMania that year. Uh, Edge... And John Cena would re would relive their 2006 rivalry. However, this time they added Big Show to the mix. Um, I mean, it was okay, but I didn't think that, you know, Big Show was needed. And Edge and Cena could have done just fine on their own. But they probably wanted to give Big Show a pretty big match. And then we saw Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy in an Extreme Rules match. And as I mentioned earlier, um, I thought Christian was going to be involved in the storyline with Edge. Turns out he did make a return, but he was involved in the Money in the Bank ladder match um, that opened up the card that evening. So now we're here, WrestleMania 25, the silver anniversary. A lot of moving parts had taken place um, from the Royal Rumble in January up until the re that WrestleMania in April of, of 2009. I'm going to go, I'm going to say that these changes were necessary. I liked them and it gave me a clear path as a fan to what I could be invested in for that year's WrestleMania. So I'm going to go with a yay. Um, I felt the buildup to Randy Orton and Triple H was awesome. Um, you know, between RKOing Steph and then eventually DDTing her, handcuffing Triple H and forcing him to watch as he 
would would uh, tongue kiss an unconscious Stephanie McMahon after that DDT and the the all the things that they did with each other. Um, I thought that stuff was awesome, and that was like the epitome at that time of a good build up to a WrestleMania main event. Um, if there's one thing I could take away from that, obviously was. Well, actually, I should say a couple of things I could take away from that was, number one, they should not have put the stipulation that um, if Hunter gets himself disqualified, he loses the title. Because then you limit yourself. And this was a real personal rivalry that I felt like a no disqualification kind of stipulation was better suited for this match. And I was hoping that Orton was going to you know, get the best of Hunter and come out the victor of that WrestleMania. He didn't, and uh, I felt like they dropped the ball on the um, the payoff for that, but the, everything up until that point I thought was great, great stuff and really made Randy Orton. Like, he, I felt like going into that match, he was a made guy. He was on par as, you know, uh, as credible as Triple H's um, for that championship at that match at WrestleMania. Um, obviously, Sean and Undertaker, the path they got there was great. I got no complaints with that. And obviously, no complaints about that match. That's the greatest match in the history of WrestleMania and arguably the greatest wrestling match of all time, in my opinion. Um, and we can argue that point till the cows come home if you want. But that's just where I stand when it comes to that. Um, the Edge John Cena... Big Show triple threat, I like I said, I wouldn't have put Big Show in that match. I understand why they did, but um, I think it would have been fine with just Edge and John Cena. And, uh, you know, the Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy, like I said, it made sense, and it was a, it was a better uh, path to them at WrestleMania than the, the, the previous time they split up in 2001. So, yeah, this gets a yay for me in 2009 because... Um, all in all, it made for a much better WrestleMania, whereas going into that WrestleMania, it was very all over the place and directionless, in my opinion. There was no direction um, for that WrestleMania, uh, and normally you got to get an idea, but I guess that's the beauty of it in some ways as a fan, where you're hoping for things to turn out a certain way, or you're trying to get your answers creatively as a viewer, and you're watching, and all of a sudden, boom, they hit you with all these changes. Like I said, there were a number of different changes on the path to WrestleMania that made for a very interesting um, a very interesting time in WWE in 2009. So yeah, I, I I thought these were good changes, and I wouldn't I wouldn't other than putting Big Show out of that match, and uh, you know the, the the finish to Orton and Triple H. This was this was this was perfectly fine with me as a viewer on that road to WrestleMania. As we move on with our final, our last particular storyline event that had really altered the card for Wrestlemania that year it was actually the last Wrestlemania that I attended in 2014 Wrestlemania 30 the Yeslemania the march to Wrestlemania for Daniel Bryan um, a lot of what took place on this card was altered um because of a number of issues behind the scenes, creatively. Uh, we can go back to, Christ, we can go back to 2012 and how this whole Yes movement started when Daniel Bryan lost to Sheamus in 18 seconds in Miami, um, and his popularity grew from there. We could go even further a year later in the springtime of 2013, and Daniel Bryan's popularity was really growing, and they were flirting with the idea of him being a top guy. Um, 
which he eventually would beat John Cena for the WWE Championship at that SummerSlam in 2013, only to get screwed by special referee Triple H, allowing Randy Orton to cash in his money in the bank and become the WWE Champion um, following that SummerSlam, and thus the authority was born. And we would see Daniel Bryan's character go through a number of pitfalls with the authority, uh, rematches um, coming up short against Randy Orton, uh, then he would run into an issue with the Wyatt family, uh, which wasn't really, it was just kind of thrown out of nowhere. Um, as a fan, I tried to rationalize it that maybe the authority sent the Wyatts to kind of distract Daniel Bryan. And, and uh, you know, the, I felt like the path was still there that Daniel Bryan was going to, his, his big moment was going to culminate at WrestleMania. Um, and this was just another part of that road to get there for him. And so um, he had that issue with the Wyatts, and then eventually he would um, he wouldn't take part in the 2014 Royal Rumble match. Instead, it would be Batista winning a returning Batista, who the fans didn't really care for. Um, the audience didn't have. Um, have much interest in seeing Batista return as a good guy. They wanted to boo him. And WWE management at that time was really forcing, you know, the, the good guy issue with Batista. Now, let's halt let, let, let's halt that for just a moment and uh, pivot back to CM Punk, who plays a big part in this, in my opinion. CM Punk, uh, towards the end of 2013, was kind of battling with some issues with the authority. And uh, it looked like the direction they were going in is that he, you were going to see a rematch between him and Triple H at that year's WrestleMania. Triple H had kind of thrown the shield in his way. Uh, they put Punk in as the number one entrant in that 2014 Royal Rumble match. Um, and he would end up being one of the final few, only to be eliminated by Corporate Kane. And this is where things really changed, because the next night, CM Punk behind the scenes would go to Vince McMahon and Triple H and tell him that he quit. He's no longer with the company. He can't take it anymore. And we all know the story of why CM Punk left in CM Punk's mind. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, That's another discussion for another day. But that really changed things because um, according to the rumors out there uh, on the urban legends, the dirt sheets, the rumor and innuendo, if you will, um, CM Punk was scheduled to face Triple H. And Batista winning the Royal Rumble would challenge Randy Orton for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. And where would Daniel Bryan fit into this? According to the dirt sheets, the rumor mill, and even Daniel Bryan himself, the plan was for Daniel Bryan to wrestle Sheamus at WrestleMania 30. They were going to redo the match that they had from from 2012 and... Sheamus was going to be a bad guy, and I believe he was going to kind of be like a hired uh, hitman for the authority. And we were going to see, um, we were going to see that match take place. Now, I kind of scratched my head when I read that stuff at the time because I thought Daniel Bryan is red hot. Him not being in the championship match, how do they not see that? They're chanting "Yes" during other people's segments. You know, they want they're chanting Daniel Bryan during other championship matches. Randy Orton and Big Show headlined Survivor Series in 2013, and they were chanting Daniel Bryan. And this match sucks. They didn't want to see Orton and Big Show. They wanted Daniel Bryan in the picture. So I kind of scratched my head at that notion, and. Um, 
you know, that Daniel Bryan was going to be in a in a singles match. And then, then I even thought to myself, okay, well, the stuff with Sheamus makes sense. They have a history. What if Sheamus is the guy that Daniel Bryan has to get to to eventually get another opportunity at the championship? Because, mind you, he wasn't even in the Royal Rumble match, okay? Um, the, and that was, the, that was the, the, the first year where the fans really – you know, started the whole let's hijack the Royal Rumble match because our favorite's not in it. The following month, Daniel Bryan would come up short in an Elimination Chamber match, um, losing to Randy Orton uh, in that match with a little bit of help from Corporate Kane. And with Punk gone at the time and his future in doubt because a lot of people were still holding out the hope that CM Punk was going to come back and make a miraculous return for, for WrestleMania because there was too much money on the table, according to some. Uh, Daniel Bryan's you know direction was, was in doubt until the following night on Monday Night Raw, following the Elimination Chamber, where he confronted Triple H and basically wanted to fight him. He wanted to challenge him to a fight. And um, to me as a fan and to many others, um, heading into that WrestleMania following that incident, the pivotal point was that Chicago Raw because people thought, well, they got to get Punk back for Chicago. I mean, it's, it, he's, a hot, you know, he, he's a hot commodity. That crowd loves him. He's a hometown guy. Let's try and get him back for Chicago. At least that's what amongst the dirt sheets and fans speculated, that they were going to have Punk return for that Chicago Raw and all was right in the world. Well, he didn't return, and it was in that it was on it was on that episode of Raw where I believe that they were really starting to take the Daniel Bryan uh, popularity a little more seriously. Uh, the crowd was really into him, and uh, to me, I started to feel like slowly but surely they were they were they were dangling the carrot in front of us that Daniel Bryan was going to be involved in a major match at WrestleMania that was worthy of him being involved in. So we get to um, we get to you know we get to that raw punk no shows he's not there he's still not a part of the company according to the the the, the rumor mill out there and then the following week we have Daniel Bryan and the Yes Movement um, pretty much occupy Raw they hold it up and Daniel Bryan wants a match with Triple H at WrestleMania. And if he beats Triple H, he wants in the championship match with Randy Orton and Batista, which, by the way, the buildup for that match wasn't very well received by the audience because Daniel Bryan was not a part of it. Um, So you had that crazy moment on Raw. There's about 50 people wearing Daniel Bryan T-shirts, chanting yes. They forced... Triple H and Stephanie's hand to give Daniel Bryan the one-on-one match with Triple H and it looks like at that moment in time CM Punk's not returning we're not going to get Punk and Triple H we're not going to get Sheamus and Daniel Bryan we're going to get Triple H and, and Daniel Bryan with Daniel Bryan if he wins gets in, gets inserted into the match with Batista and Orton for the title and making it a triple threat it would then be the following week where um, Batista and Orton had some issues with Hunter allowing this situation to occur and Hunter getting so mad that they questioned his authority, no pun intended. Therefore, Hunter saying, you know what? If you guys think you can do it, so, you know, if you guys think you can get the job done, you're going to have to, you're going to have to go through me because now if I beat Daniel Bryan, I'm going to be in the main event and I'm going to take the title and I'm going to get the job done myself since you guys can't seem to do it. So... The, um, the the scene set 
It's Daniel Bryan and Triple H with the winner going on to face Orton and Batista in the main event. Triple threat for the World Heavyweight title. Um, even up until that WrestleMania, going into that WrestleMania, um, I held out a little bit of hope that we would get a CM Punk return to help Daniel Bryan win the championship. And maybe they had come to some sort of an agreement and it would be like some huge swerve um, and bringing him back. And Punk would be highlighted in a top spot, either with Daniel Bryan or against the authority. Um, but that didn't happen. And what we saw, we saw one of the, 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 the best storybook moments in recent memory at a WrestleMania as Daniel Bryan ended up defeating Triple H and moving on to the main event to face Randy Orton and Batista in a triple threat match and winning the World Heavyweight Championship. Yeslemania uh, was celebrated at the end with the pyro and, the, and the, the confetti and Daniel Bryan hoisting those two championships in the air. Um, to me, you know, looking back on it, hindsight being 2020, I thought that the, the change was necessary, obviously, because Punk played a big factor in that creatively, as well as the, the desire by the audience and the fan base of wanting to see Daniel Bryan at the top of the mountain in WWE. And so I felt like they forced management's hand. Um, I still have a hard time believing that as popular as Daniel Bryan was at the end of 2013 going into 2014, that they didn't put him in the Rumble match, that they didn't figure him into championship plans. But at the same time, I guess we can thank CM Punk's exit from WWE uh, that caused Daniel Bryan to be put in the position that he was in. But at the same time, Daniel Bryan's character was so popular, the audience, I'm sorry, the, uh, the management had no choice but to listen to the audience. So um, as far as the changes that were made to get to this WrestleMania and this road to WrestleMania, um, I wholeheartedly think they were necessary and I agree with them. I don't have any issues with them. And I just remember as a fan, I was, you know, this was five years ago. I was so excited that I was going to this WrestleMania because I had really invested in the Daniel Bryan character. He had really grown on me. Um, I had always appreciated his work, but, you know, this underdog yes movement character was really, I just thought it was cool. And it was hard not to dis, it was hard not to like Daniel Bryan during this time period. Um, um, it's very easy now not to like the, the current Daniel Bryan character, which is a testament to his ability as a performer that he is able to be such a lovable character on one hand. And now, currently in WWE, he's such a hateable character. And I think that's great. And I, I, I love the, the creative um, range that um, he's able to display with his character in WWE. But um, as a fan, I'll never forget, I was folding laundry with my wife when they announced that he was going to be facing Triple H when they had that segment with the, the 50 people wearing the Daniel Bryan shirts. And I like pounded my fist on the bed and I was like, yes, yes, they're putting him in the main event. I love it. And I got so excited. You know, I'm 31 years old. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, and my wife was like, Jesus, calm down. You know, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a wrestling match. And I was like, I was like, okay, whatever, honey. And she was a little jealous because she wasn't coming to WrestleMania with me that year. Um, but uh, it was um, it was an exciting time to be a fan. And they, it, I, I honestly don't know how I would have felt as a fan had we had seen Orton and Batista um, and Daniel Bryan and Sheamus. Uh, for um, you know, as as two of the, the the top matches or some of the top matches for uh, WrestleMania that year. So yeah, that that to me um, another epitome of a WrestleMania game changer and um, how they altered the storylines from situations that took place behind the scenes. And uh, that's that's gonna do it this week in terms of our WrestleMania game 
game changers. If you guys think there's other WrestleMania game changers that I did not, you know, discuss on this week's show, then by all means, hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. You can write on our wall. You can tell us what storylines drastically changed the landscape of WrestleMania in that particular year. I'll put a question up on the, uh, the, the Facebook page and see if you guys want to comment amongst yourselves, amongst the rest of the kicking out of two crew. Um, you can also go to, if you don't have Facebook, you can go to Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at KickingOut2, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T, and the number two. You can be a part of all the fun that's going on over there and, you know, tweet us and say, hey, listen, I think you missed a couple. I think that, you know, this year in particular at WrestleMania was really changed up because of X, Y, and Z. By all means, I love to hear your feedback and your voice and your opinions on the history and the, 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 the throwback and retroness of professional wrestling. So, by all means, hit us up, Facebook. Facebook and Twitter and let us know what you think was a WrestleMania game changer during WrestleMania season. And I alluded to it earlier, okay? I alluded to it earlier that, uh, you know, next week we're going to be covering, um, you know, we're going to be discussing the infamous uh, barbershop uh, window incident where Shawn Michaels had uh, thrown Marty Jannetty through the barbershop as Next week, we're going to discuss some of the greatest breakups in all of wrestling history, um, whether it be couples in wrestling on screen or tag team partnerships or alliances that had taken place. We're going to discuss some of the greatest break- breakups in all of wrestling in uh, on the eve of Valentine's Day, because uh, Valentine's Day, of course, in, 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 in our society is all about love, and it's, you know, people call it the Hallmark holiday, where you tell your partner that you love once a year, that you really love them, and how much they appreciate, how much you appreciate them. Well, uh, I thought for Valentine's Day week... Uh, uh, here on Kicking Out It Too, we discuss some of the breakups that have taken place in wrestling history that have uh, have been some of the most memorable. We're going to do a countdown. Uh, we're going to do a top 14 countdown. It's not, uh, no, not a top 15, not a top 10, the top 14, because as we all know, Valentine's Day falls every year on February 14th. So I'm going to give you the 14 greatest breakups in all of wrestling history from 14 all the way to numero uno. We're going to spread the love next week here on Kicking Out at Two. And like I said, in two weeks, we're going to bring back our trading places concept and we're going to discuss in your house final four. Lay out all the what if scenarios on the table. What if Bret Hart did not win the World Wrestling Federation Championship in that Final Four. What if Vader did? What if Stone Cold Steve Austin did? What if The Undertaker? What if, what if Rocky Maivia lost the Intercontinental Championship to Hunter Hearst Helmsley at In Your House Final Four? We're going to discuss all of that and so much more and how that affects WrestleMania. We kind of gave you a little preview this week, but we're going to really delve into it in two weeks with In Your House Final Four. All right, I think it is about that time that we put this show down for the three count. There are no more false finishes, no more feet under the bottom rope, no more feet on top of the bottom rope. There's no run-ins, there's no screw jobs. It is about that time that we see you all next week.